Coaches, welcome back to Keep Your Pads Down. I am so excited to be back after our three-week break for the holidays on this first Monday of 2020, and I hope you had a great Christmas break with your families and that you got some time to relax, recharge, eat a lot of great food, watch a little football. I know some of you watch some football over the break because it seemed like every time I checked my Twitter, I saw some of you guys who couldn't help but break down the offenses in the quick lane bowl or diagram Alcorn State's third down blitz packages. So hopefully you carved out some time to maybe take a walk or, or, I don't know, do some scrapbooking or something. Anyway, regardless, we're glad you're checking us out today. For those of you who are first-time listeners, we've been around since March 2019. We are here for D-line coaches first and foremost, but I'd like to think that we offer something for all coaches and the casual football fan as well. So whether you are, in fact, a D-line coach a running backs coach, or just somebody who loves football, I'm glad you're tuned in. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help us spread the word about this podcast by telling a friend and leave us a five-star rating if you're liking what you're hearing on our show. This is episode number 41, and before I talk about today's guest, let me give you a little preview about what we have planned for you as we officially kick off off off-season 2020. So, we have some outstanding guests lined up for you in the next several weeks, including some Division One defensive line coaches, along with some solid, accomplished high school coaches as well. We'll primarily be speaking on various aspects of defensive line play, but again, you know, occasionally we do step out and cover topics that sort of run parallel to the interests of D-line coaches also, so uh, make sure you're checking those out. Speaking of high school coaches, we will have several coaches on in the upcoming weeks whose teams won a state championship in 2019. So it'll be interesting to hear about what those guys are doing and how they were able to be so successful this year. Also, as I mentioned earlier, we will continue to bring on guests who may not be necessarily defensive line coaches, but the information they have to offer will still be relevant to you defensive line coaches and really all coaches and non-coaches alike. Remember, this is your podcast. So if you have ideas about topics that, that you want to hear about or have someone in mind who you'd like to hear from on this podcast, you can always email us at kypdpodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at kypdpodcast. All right, with all that being said, let's get to today's guest who is not a defensive line coach, but an outstanding coach nonetheless with some great information to share with us today. I'm honored to welcome Coach Adam Harvey, co-defensive coordinator at Cibolo Steel High School. That's located on the northeast side of San Antonio, for those of you who don't know. Coach Harvey is originally from Littlefield, Texas, and played safety and wide receiver in high school. He attended Wayland Baptist University to play basketball before transferring to Texas Tech, where he earned his degree. Coach Harvey began his coaching career as a basketball coach, among all things, in Indiana, before coming to his senses and returning home to the great state to coach at San Antonio Academy, where he coached from 2005 to 2013. From there, Coach Harvey moved over to Cibolo Steel High School, where he is the co-defensive coordinator and coaches defensive backs for the Knights. In his time at Steele, Coach Harvey has been a part of two state quarterfinals, two state semifinals, and in 2016, he helped lead the Knights to an appearance in the 6A Division II state championship game. Now, today isn't Coach Harvey's first rodeo when it comes to podcasts. He's been featured on Run the Power podcast, the All In Sports Outreach podcast, the Make Defense Great Again podcast with Coach Vass, and the USA Football Coach and Coordinators podcast. And I think there's a few others there that I'm leaving out. But anyway, dare I say, he's dang near a professional at these things. Also, if you are headed out to the AFCA convention in Nashville next week, be sure to check out Coach Harvey's presentation Sunday morning at 1130 at the Skills and Drills area there on the Expo floor. 
I, I got to check out a couple of those last year when the convention was in San Antonio. And those are some uh, interactive presentations that get a little more hands-on. So if you're headed to Nashville next week, stop by and check out Coach Harvey before you take a lap through the Expo Hall. He's going to be talking about the Knights Press Palms coverage, Press Man, and Press Cougar, which is a little bit of Belichick and Saban stuff for those of you who don't know. So you'll definitely want to check that out. Today, Coach Harvey and I are talking about how he and his co-coordinator work in tandem to build a stingy defense there at Steele. We also get into the Knights' cover two palms coverage, as well as defending formations into the boundary and covering those matchup nightmares in the slot. So grab your pen and pad and get ready to take some notes and enjoy Coach Adam Harvey on today's episode of KYPD. Coach Harvey, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Coach Taylor. Appreciate it. Well, you know, begin by giving us a little background on yourself and, and how you got into coaching football in the first place. Yeah, so I grew up out in West Texas where, uh, you know, Texas in general, football is king. And, and in West Texas, I I don't know that there is a rival with, with how much people really, truly love football. Um, you know, athletes are obviously different in different areas of the state and uh, but it, it was one of those things that it was just a way of life for me. I remember, uh, literally, uh, can remember at three years old being at a 1982 state championship game. I just gave away my age there, but, <laughs> uh, and then some short five years later being at another state championship game, uh, watching two cousins that played on two different teams. And so, uh, it's just always been uh, a huge part of my life and, um, you know, growing up playing the game, uh, was always a lot of fun. Uh, but now coaching it, I don't know that I've ever loved the game more uh, than I than I do now as a coach. And so just, uh, you know, like I said, it's been a way of life. And, and you know, I tell people all the time, I, I don't have hobbies. My my uh, my life is my kids, my wife and then football. And then after that, it's how do I study to be a better football coach? And then maybe my hobbies would be watching basketball and baseball. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, that's just who I am. And uh, yeah, so grew up out there in a small town, Littlefield, Texas, just west of Lubbock and uh, spent 22 years of my life there and then uh, kind of ventured out and ended up now been in San Antonio area for 15 years. So I uh, did move out of the state for a couple of years up to Indiana because I actually thought for some crazy reason that I did want to coach basketball. So what better place uh, than Indiana? It's kind of like Texas yeah, in football, yeah, you know, yeah. but I uh, got back as soon as I could and, and have been here in the San Antonio area for 15 years. So, uh, this is kind of uh, home away from home, if you will. And, and if, um, I wouldn't say set roots here, but obviously being somewhere for 15 years, it's been a it's been a really good ride. And, a, and what a great place to be like Cibolo Steel that I've been able to, you know, to grow as a coach and, and learn more uh, ball here, too. So, yeah, that's, that's a little bit of a quick background, I guess, of, of who I am and, and why I love football. Well, talk about, you know, you mentioned growing up uh, in, in West Texas and really a time where um, that was <clears throat> was was really the epicenter of Texas high school football at the time with, with Odessa, Permian, and Midland Lee and those guys out there. Uh, what do you remember about growing up there, you know, kind of specifically, and you know, watching those guys and, and being around those types of programs? What, what was it that was that made it really special, you know, particularly in that region of the state at that time? 
Yeah, it's a, it's a great, great point and great question. <clears throat> I specifically remember you mentioned Odessa Permian. I was in the fifth grade. Um, I believe it was 1989. So around the time that the Friday Night Lights movie was uh, based around. And they, Odessa Permian, had for some reason decided to scrimmage at Littlefield High School, where I uh, ended up going to high school. Like I said, I was in the fifth grade at the time, and they were scrimmaging the Paladura high school football team and um wow i mean talk about just impress and 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 i remember even again as a fifth grader loving the game so much that you know we took time out to go to the stadium to watch this game and and, uh, it was just scrimmage format and so we're sitting here watching these athletes you know and obviously they're running you know the triple option and and you know with number 25 down under center quarterback and um, but just you're exactly right with Midland Lee, and then you know later on with Cedric Benson coming through there, and um, the the time that they had. And I tell you, even closer to home, uh, Love of Coronado, uh, when I got into high school, uh, was really really sound and strong. You know, Kevin Curtis, um, who's coaching at the collegiate level at SMU right now, and uh, played at the 49ers for a little while, played at Texas Tech, and then Ryan Acock and and some of those guys. I mean, it was. It was definitely a, a sound place, as I mentioned in, in my intro. You know, it's not really known for a ton of athletes out in West Texas, but there are dudes that absolutely love football. And I think the guy that I'm reminded of the most, who's actually younger than I, would be Lincoln Riley. You know, who's yeah. going to be playing. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're 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 uh, recording this here on the semifinal day, so he's going to be playing, coaching his guys up here in a couple hours. And um, you know, just like I said, it's a way of life. And and uh, you know, the thing that I remember probably the most is just how much people love football, yeah. you know, and, and that was uh, that was definitely instrumental in my life and something that, um, you know, kind of made me who I am today. And, you know, one of my one of I, and I actually had a chance to sit down with Sonny Dykes a couple of summers ago at San Angelo at the clinic. And one of the things I told Coach Dykes was how big of an influence his father was on me. And, you know, Spike was at the helm at, at Texas Tech yeah. before Mike Leach and um, you know, I remember as a sixth grader being in the guns up club and going into the bubble and, you know, talking to guys like Tracy Saul and, uh, Zach Thomas and, and some of those guys, Bart Thomas, Zach's older brother who played with my cousin on that 1988 white deer state championship team. And, um, man, Spike Dykes was, was just phenomenal. I remember I've got a picture of him holding my, my youngest brother who was born in 1991. And I think it was probably 92 or 93 when he was, uh, you know, about a year and a half old and their spike is on one knee and my brother's in his lap and we take a picture with him and just a uh, great, great guy, but a great ball coach too. And, and, uh, those are the things that I remember, you know, growing up in that era, area, um, and era of, of, you know, not only Texas high school football, but Texas tech as well. Yeah. So, so you go to Indiana to coach basketball, and I, I imagine that was a, you know, a, a decision that you didn't make lightly, but then you decide at some point that 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 wasn't what you wanted to do and and so you you moved back to Texas to to jump into Texas high school football what went into that decision and what 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 called you back uh, to coach football here in Texas yeah i uh so indiana is you know it is what it is i mean obviously hoosiers and, and all that we know about the the game of basketball up there. I and mean, I thought it would be a, a neat deal. I was young, young, dumb and, and stupid, I guess. And my wife was right there along with me and willing to go and kind of adventure out. <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, her, her dad was actually a, a head high school football coach at the school 
uh, where my cousin went in White Deer after they won the state championship. He was at Texas City for a good while and then ended up taking the head job there. And unfortunately, his, you know, his time was um, was cut short and he ended up getting out and then moving into the Lubbock area when she was in the fifth grade. So she was kind of more of an Lubbockite than anything, but it traveled around you know, some with, with his job, obviously being a Texas high school football coach. And so we were both just kind of, um, I wouldn't say bored, but we wanted to venture out and we had done some, uh, some, actually some training, uh, with missions. Um, you know, we're both, uh, Christians. And so we had done some traveling, uh, outside the U S as a matter of fact, before we had gotten married. Um, and so we were just kind of having that itch, I guess, to kind of venture out a little bit to see what was out there. So, we both went up to Indiana and then to be completely honest with you, coach, we, uh, you know, we, we enjoyed our time there, but it was just not the same. You know, yeah. I mean, and, and some of the things, my most vivid memories, this was in 2003 to 2005. And I remember getting there and, you know, one of the first things I wanted to do, I was a huge Larry Bird fan. So I wanted to travel over to, to French Lick and French Lick was about three and a half hours from where we lived. And, uh, along the way, each little, you know, stop in the small communities. I wanted to see the football field probably more than I wanted to see the basketball facility. Cause I'm like, where are we? And where is Texas high school football? You know, yeah, yeah. where's high school football in general. And it was just, you know, you walk into a basketball facility there and you're going to see a 12,000, you know, 10 to 12,000 seat facility. And very similar to, you know, to what you see here in Texas with the, uh, you know, the huge stadiums and, and yeah. all the things that we boast about. And so, I just missed it, man. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, that's a long answer just to tell you that I missed it. And, uh, you know, there was some opportunities. We, we really weren't interested in moving back to West Texas. We were kind of, uh, over that, if you will, you know, that yeah. ship had sailed. And so, uh, there was an opportunity down in San Antonio at a private middle school, as a matter of fact, very affluent. And, uh, and so I, I, I landed a job there, which honestly didn't even have a football program. And I can get to that more later, but, uh, landed a gig there and, and started there in 2005. And then, uh, yeah, I just, just kind of wanted to move back to Texas really for football more than anything. And I still wasn't coaching football even in 2005, but ended up starting a program there in 2009. So, yeah. Well, as you've, you know, that's a pretty um, atypical journey into coaching, uh, you know, especially, you know, bouncing from, from a state, um, uh, to, to you know and coaching a, a completely different sport and then coming back and then um and then, and then beginning a program at a private school so i'm sure there have been a lot of things throughout your coaching career that, that maybe some lessons you've had to learn the hard way so talk about one of those things that you learned uh through all that process and through your through your journey as a coach maybe a lesson you learned the hard way uh when it comes to, to coaching i'm a i'm a believer in in learning anything in any situation and so um, you know, learning the hard way, I think is just a way of life. And there, I could probably have an entire podcast interview and still not have enough time and <laughs> run out of time of things yeah. that I've had to learn the hard way just because I'm a knucklehead and, and hard headed about things more than anything. But I, I think probably the gist to answer your question and not to, to pass that off would be, um, the importance of relationships, you know, um, because I, I, I wouldn't even say I've bounced around cause I'm not a hop, skip and jump guy. I mean, I, after that middle school, when I started there in 2005, I stayed there for eight years and, um, you know, there were, there were things that I, I wanted to do and I knew that I was primed to do. Um, but I just didn't make the jump and I was afraid to build relationships because 
oh, that, that guy's too busy for me or, you know, he's, um, he's kind of over there in the league of his own, so to speak. Um, but really particularly over the last several years, because I've been, a, you know, had the opportunity to coach these studs and I don't know how else to put it, but, you know, I've built relationships with a lot of these college coaches that are, that are just phenomenal dudes. I mean, just straight laced as, as helpful as they possibly could be, you know? And so that was one of the things that I wish I would have picked up on earlier. You know, I, yeah. I mentioned yeah. Lincoln Riley earlier. And, and one of the things that I'm just really impressed with, with him is, you know, when he went to tech, he wanted to walk on. And Mike Leach was just very honest with him and said, you know, you're not good enough to be a player, but I do see a value in your, your ability to, to learn and know the game. And so he jumped on as a student assistant. You know, and, and obviously, I don't know that I would never say I would be the head coach of a place like Oklahoma, you know, like Oklahoma. But, you know, Lincoln Riley was willing to do that and he was willing to put his ego aside and build the relationships that he built with Ruffin McNeil. And then ended up getting, the, you know, East Carolina OC position when Ruffin went out there after Mike Leach was fired at Texas Tech. And, you know, now look where he is, you know, and so yeah. um, I would say to learn the thing that I learned the hard way was it's okay to reach out to people and, and really build relationships because there's a bunch of great dudes in our profession that are really willing to help out. And, uh, and I think that's something that a young coach really needs to hear. You know, coach, I think that's a great point, especially as we get into now uh, what's known in the, in the coaching world is clinic season. And uh, you know, you go, you're going to these clinics and you're, you're, you see these guys that whether if you're going to the AFCA convention or maybe a, just your local Glazier clinic or something like that, you're going to probably run into some coaches, whether it be high school or college coaches that are in your eyes, big time guys. And I think that sometimes that can be a little daunting to walk up and, and introduce yourself and, and, and talk to those guys. And we always dread the, you know, getting big leagued or, you know, the inevitable, see their eyes travel down to where, where your, what your laner says, where you're from and kind of blowing you off or whatever. And, um, but I think that there's, there's a, a lot of value in that and just, just man, nutting up and just going and having that conversation and getting out of your comfort zone and you never know what you're going to learn. And, 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 you know, we've all been that guy that's just trying to learn and trying to build relationships and, you know, you just got to get in there and do it. And, and, I, and I think when you do that, then you kind of start growing your network. And the more you do it, the more confident you feel at it. And that's just going to lead to, you know, better things. And uh, as you get on down in your career and, and being able to engage people and talk with people and, and have that confidence to just walk into a room and, and, and meet people. So true. You know, and I think it's important at any level, you know, whether it is those big time guys, as you mentioned, or even, you know, somebody that it may be on your level or, or even below your level, so to speak. There's so much that we can learn from, from others. You know, I, I've got a uh, really neat, really neat story that I, I need to mention. And I know um, you do this on your podcast. And so I don't want to ruin the question later on. And I'll, I'll have more for that answer too, but there's a young man named Trevor Browder and I need to give Trevor a shout out. He's at Marion university and all of all places, Indiana. So Trevor reached out to me on Twitter. And this dude is a sophomore in college right now. And just this morning, he and I were texting over some X's and O stuff. He was just asking some questions about, you know, an even front deal. And I know we're going to get to that here in a little bit. Um, but just impressed with a young man who's a sophomore in college that wants to learn ball so much. So this dude, uh, he, he helps coach at a high school, but he also plays for an NAIA school in Marion. And they went or played for the state championship just a couple of weeks ago and unfortunately came up short by, I think, two or three points. It was a really close game. 
Um, but I've been really impressed with that young man. He'll call me and we'll talk on the phone about anything from the Brian Kite and Tim Kite, E plus R equals O to, yeah. you know, just like I said this morning, talking X's and O's. And, you know, he's a young man. And I guarantee you when I get my job and I will someday, I'll think about Trevor Browder. And if he's got a Texas high school certificate, that's where I am. I'll call that young man because I know he wants to learn and he's already got a great mind because of the things that he's done to reach out to people that he may feel like would never even really talk to him. Um, but, you know, it's I, I find that important, too, to give back to the game. It's important that we as coaches are, are willing to talk to the young bucks that are willing to learn because that's something that we've got to do to keep this game alive, in my opinion. And, you know, there's a lot of negativity out there about football, but I guarantee to you, you talk to coaches that really love the game, really care about people and really care about what's to come when we pass this thing on to our future coaches. That's where it is. You yeah. know, that's where uh, the meat and potatoes are, so to speak. And that's something that I, I just find extremely important. Yeah. I, I think that's a cool thing about our profession is that it is uh, so collaborative, uh, especially now with social media. Uh, you know, you, it's, it's very easy. Like you're, like you're mentioning with this guy in, in Indiana, it's easy to reach out and talk to those guys, but I don't think there can, anything can replace being able to walk up to a guy and meet them and shake their hand face to face and have that experience of you know get, again getting out of your comfort zone and talking to someone face to face because uh, that's where the real relationships are cultivated and so that's you know to, to kind of piggyback off your point that's what I would challenge young coaches who are going to be hitting the clinic circuit this off season is don't be afraid to just just step out there and and, and go talk to those guys and uh, you know don't worry about it being awkward we've all been there we've all been that nervous coach and and all that just just go do it and. And you'll be glad you did. Absolutely, great point. Great point. Well, let's let's start getting into uh, to some to, to to some football specific talk here. Uh, you are the uh, co defensive coordinator there at Steel, which is an outstanding program, outstanding six A program in the San Antonio area. And and, and I want to talk specifically about your role as co defensive coordinator because uh, that is probably a setup that's not necessarily common. I mean, it's not uncommon. It's not unusual. But I think that it is unique, uh, especially on the high school level. Uh, so how do you – talk to us about that and how you and, and your other coordinator, your co-defense coordinator, game plan, how you decide on defensive looks and stunts and coverages each week. How, how do you do all of that? Absolutely. Well, I would be a fool to say that, you know, I, I'm the brains of the operation. I, I think, you know, first of all, Scott Leach is, uh, is the guy that <clears> – <throat> he's actually a defensive line coach, so – uh, know that that's kind of the, where your your podcast is geared and, and really appreciate you having me on because this is an exciting time to talk about these things with the co-coordinator experience and whatnot. And um, so I would say, first of all, you know, it, it all begins with stopping the run. And so you, you know, you've got to be on the same page with that. And that includes us as secondary guys um, just as much as it does anybody. You know, I think the, probably the, the toughest part is to make sure the linebackers are are set, you know, because they're kind of the man in the middle, so to speak, yeah, uh, yeah. figuratively and, and literally, um, you know, and so I, I think as the, to answer your question, you know, with what it looks like, you know, it would vary, uh, obviously staff to staff for us specifically, I'm always going to go to him first um, because number one, he's been there a long time. He's been there uh, really since the get go. And, and, you know, he understands what he wants um, and he, like I said, he's really, really good. And so how can I help him on the back end, you know, fit the run as well as make sure that we're good in the passing game and make sure that we've got things 
you know, set up to where we're all sound all the way across the board. And, um, you know, that's something that I've, that I've learned in this role, uh, that, you know, no matter what, if, if you have a a sole coordinator or a call coordinator, so to speak, um, you better be in tune with one another. And if you're not, that's where things can get really shaky. So, you know, just communication, that's huge. Um, get on the board, uh, you know, talking through, uh, through the weekend. And then even when you're at home and something comes up and you're running, you know, through your mind, maybe this might work, you know, if we're going to work this coverage based on that formation, make sure we're still sound in the run game, especially if we're involved in those run fits and, um, you know, that it's, it's like anything, but you just got to make sure that you're on the same page. I would say is the top thing. Yeah. And, and we didn't probably should have already mentioned this, but y'all are a four, two, five defense, correct? Well, more of a four, three, but okay. you know, okay. it, has, it turns into a yeah. four, two, five with all the spread stuff. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, so are your, are your coverages and, and your, your alignments up front, are those married together? Or are those completely separate? Cause it seems like that would make it easier if they're there, if the two are independent of each other. Uh, how, how do y'all, how do y'all mesh those two together? So call wise, they would be completely separate. Um, but I would say that they are married. And, and, and so I think both and would be my answer. And, and the reason is, is because like I said earlier, you've got to be involved in the run fit anymore. I mean, if you're going to play a seven man box, it's a lot easier but like you said earlier, you know, whether it's a four, two, five or four, three, you know, essentially they're the same thing. And so yeah. if, you know, if you've got a, a B gap fitter from the roof, um, you better have a coverage that's married to that, you know, whether it's, you know, a buzz look where your backer is actually playing force flat, or if you're keeping your backer inside, you're in a sky look. Um, and we run a lot of cloud too. So mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff will just be married to what we're trying to accomplish inside. You know, I would say that probably the things that are two of the most opposite would be any kind of just defensive line stunt without a blitz. Um, but if we're blitzing, then we're definitely going to marry that stuff together so that if we're, you know, it, it's it's just the whole fire zone mentality. If you're losing somebody, you got to replace them with right. somebody on the roof, you know, that type of thing. So um, call-wise, we're, we're making two different calls. Um, but, you know, my thing is that as the back end guy is always going to be, okay, what is the front end doing? And I must supplement that the right way yeah. so that we're not yeah. outflanked and that we're sound, you know, pre-snap and post-snap. Because I think that's a lot of times where we defensive coordinators get a little bit wishy-washy with our stuff is we may be great in pre-snap alignment and whether we're slanting or just playing our base, you know, a lot of times we can get outflanked post-snap and without any motions or anything because we didn't match and marry the two together. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The, yeah. the coverage looks good to the formation, but it's not good based on what we're doing with the front seven. Yeah. And that's yeah. where we can really get washed up. So are, are y'all both on the sideline? Is one of you in the box? One of you, how does that work? Yeah, he, he is in the box and I'm on the sideline. So okay. he's relaying the front call to uh, our, our assistant D-line coach who signals in the front and then I'm signaling in the back end. Uh, as I listen on the on the headset. Yeah, so I was going to say you're hearing the call, uh, you know, the front call or whatever, and then you're making the appropriate coverage. And so then I, I think you kind of already touched on this. It's got to, I would imagine it gets a little bit sticky or tricky when you start adding things like motions and trades and things like that, or, you know, um, you know they come out and empty or, you know, what your checks are to those different things. And, okay, now the, the pressure's off or, you know, now we're checking to this. So, how do you all stay on the same page with things like that, with your checks to, to different formations, to, to, to um, different personnel groupings, things like that? 
Right. So, you know, I think that really comes in the week, the week of, I mean, I, you know, it's like anything you've got to prepare for, you know, any and all things. And obviously there's going to be situations with a good offensive coordinator, you're going to see something in the game that you may not have prepared for. Um, but at the end of the day, if, if you've got, you know, an answer for your motion adjustments and it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, Hey, this is going to be an open three by one set, uh, adjustment. It can also be a, a tight three by one set, you know, yeah. if they're in tray yeah. versus trips or trips versus tray three by one is three by one rather yeah. than, you know, being so meticulous and detailed where you might switch that up and you might even like a coverage better to tray than, than versus trips or vice versa. But I think if, you know, if you're getting jumps and motions and that type of thing, if you have, uh, you know, kind of a set protocol, so to speak. Um, and then if you need to make any adjustments, you can do that, you know, in between possessions or obviously at halftime. And that's where those adjustments come in, um, into play. But I think, you know, just really with form rec, I mean, we form rec a lot, especially on Monday and then even halfway into Tuesday before we really try to start, you know, sealing it, so to speak. Cause, um, you know, as a defensive guy, I really like to make sure that the first half of practice. So if you got a three day practice week, which most of us do just not even counting Thursday with it being mostly a walkthrough day and just, a you know, tying loose ends and that type yeah. of thing, yeah. Hayes never in the barn, so to speak, but on, on Monday and then half of Tuesday's practice, you know, let's really recognize and whether that's form rec route rec for us as secondary guys, you know, run fits, all that stuff. Let's recognize what we want to do to certain situations and then about halfway through Tuesday's practice, all the way through Wednesday, let's polish that up. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. I think with that in mind and that mentality, I think it really helps, you know, making sure that you've got those things and those situations in in order. And then if you have to make adjustments, you make adjustments in between possessions or at halftime of the game. Yeah. Yeah. How do you divide up responsibilities during the week? Uh, you know, when, when it comes to, I'm sure you're the one that's, or at least if you're not doing it, you're overseeing it, the drawing of, you know, all the pass routes that, you, that you're going to see, pass combinations, uh, route combinations that you're going to see, and, and he's handling the front stuff. But as far as just like scripting practice, whether it be, um, you know, like, like let's say a, a team session where everybody's involved, how are you all working together to script that so that, you know, the, the front, the, your front seven guys are getting work, but also your, your, your DBs are getting work? Yeah, so if, you know, we'll, we'll do obviously indie stuff and then group stuff. And with our group stuff, our linebackers will share time. And what we've tried to do really recently, probably the last couple of years, is is flip our linebackers so that they're getting enough run fit look as well as passing game stuff. And then we'll be obviously come team. That's just going to be a tendency thing more than anything. We're going to figure out, you know, what are the heaviest tendencies. We're going to put those on, uh, you know, on cards and wristbands and then and let the scout team get at it with us and then just go all 11. And then, and then that's where the whole picture comes together. So kind of, as I was mentioned earlier, we do a whole lot more Indian group in that first half of practice all of Monday is going to be more of a walkthrough. We'll come together and form rec all 11. Um, and then, you know, half of Tuesday, we're getting after it before we go good on good. And then once we go good on good, um, that's where, you know, again, that polishing begins. And so, um, you know, when we split everything up, you know, making sure that the run fits are taken care of, you know, he's doing the majority of that. And then I just make sure if there's any holes or if he feels like, hey, we need to make sure the safety's fitting on this particular thing, he'll communicate that with me. And then we'll make sure that we make the proper adjustment on the back end. And then when we come together on all 11, it's just easy to kind of see that. We'll collaborate together, you know, make notes and then go back in, correct it, come back out on Tuesday before we go good on good and make sure that all that's squared away when we go team. 
And so that, that's been, uh, you know, it's good too, when you've got a lot of kids, you know, I mean, um, you, you were at Kerrville Tivy, so that's probably kind of what y'all did there. I don't know if you have enough kids at Pleasant Grove or not, but you know, when you've got a big program at a six, yeah. a, you've got enough to run a, a true scout team and you don't have to worry about, you know, the one platoon, it's really a two platoon type yeah. system. And so that helps too. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that, that, that communication and, and being in sync is really a key to making this whole thing work with, with, with co-coordinators. Uh, and you've already touched on this a little bit, but maybe go into more detail about what, what is a benefit to having two defensive coordinators, co-coordinators there working together? That's a great question. You know, and, and I would start out by just saying, I think, I think the most beneficial thing for us, particularly um, in seeing the dynamic instances that we've seen, whether, you know, Lake Travis, DeSoto, Judson, uh, Smithson Valley, I mean, it, you know, even Clemens to a certain extent, they've done a great job. They, they've been a lot like us, so I, I don't want to downplay that one that certain to a certain extent yeah. comment. Um, they're just a whole, whole lot like us because their head coach came from Steel. But I think with that, there's just so much that these offenses are doing nowadays. And you throw the RPOs in, and you throw, you know, the shifts and whatnot. I mean, we, we, we saw a team in Brandeis who's been really salty the last couple of years who ran a lot of shifts last year. And it was, it was a monster yeah, to try to defend. Yeah. And so I think it just alleviates, you know, some of that pressure. And, you know, that's one of the things that I've, I'm really impressed with with coach Leach and, and he will openly say it is, you know, Hey, you, you take care of the passing game. I've got enough to worry about and stopping the run, you know, and, and vice versa too. It's the same thing with me. You know, I think, um, you know, defensive coordinators that are, are solo, you know, they, they've got some advantages too, um, because the buck stops with them and that type yeah. of thing. But yeah. at the end of the day, you know, the more the merrier as far as I'm concerned. And, um, and, and I don't know that I would always stick with the co-coordinator thing. I think it would just depend on personalities and it depends on, you know, your personnel and what you're really trying to accomplish. Um, but another thing that we've done in recent years is we've gone to a lot more multiple sets, you know, and so we'll run a, a good version of, you know, some odd front stuff and, because of that, you know, things change with coverages or things change with fronts. And so it just helps you kind of focus in and, and really be more meticulous in your area rather than having to worry about the whole package. So to yeah. Speak. yeah. 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 There, there's definitely uh, it's, it's dependent upon a coach's personality and just the dynamic of the school. But it sounds like y'all really have it working well together there. And and, you know, for most of the guys who listen to this podcast who are D-line guys and front seven guys to tell them that, hey, you just worry about stopping the run and then, you know, hand the, the responsibility of stopping the pass to, to the guys behind you. You know, that that could be appealing as well to be able to just just kind of stick in with what's in your wheelhouse and 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 but then still come together and collaborate and make sure everything's meshing together. So uh, I can definitely see where that would be something that that would that would work as long as both of those guys, both of the guys involved are um you know, in agreement and, and work well together and communicate well together, that I can see why that could be really good for, for a program. For sure. And, uh, and I think you hit it on the head. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, it's communication and collaboration. If you're doing those two things, you're going to be successful. Yeah. And, you know, any and everything can work no matter what it looks like. Um, but you've got to make sure you're all on the same page for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, let's, let's talk about your coverages and just what you're doing with the, with the back end with your guys. Uh, talk to us about your day one base coverage. Like, what's the, the 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 coverage that you're rolling out day one of maybe you know spring ball or fall camp, and then how do you expand on that concept to add in more wrinkles and coverages throughout the year? 
Yeah, so we're Palms based. Um, you know, we, we've naturally been a press team, uh, and this is long before I even got to steal. So I cannot take credit. I've been a cover two guy really since my playing days. We ran cover two in high school, and um, much different than the cover two that we run now. But I really like the Palms concept because of the reads, as you mentioned. You know, what what kind of things can you build on? You know, so from day one, we're going to get in your face with our corners. Uh, we're going to square up, and the first thing that we teach our kids is to get hands-on, and that starts in the seventh grade, Coach. I mean, that's something that, you know, I, I get into heated conversations with quite a bit with these some of these DB coaches because all I hear is, well, yeah, you could do that. You're still high school, and you have the athletes, and I, I disagree. I really do. I think, you know, it's a mentality, you know, and um, my two non-negotiables as a defensive backs coach are, are, are really plain, cut, and dry and simple. You better play fast, and you better play physical. And that's not to say that you have to run 4-3, or if you do run a 4-3, that you do play fast, you know. But I'm saying that you better play extremely fast, and you better play as physically, you know, impeding people's mindset. And if you do that, um, there's not any receiver that I've seen uh, outside of maybe Garrett Wilson, who will be playing this evening in the state center or the national semifinal, um, that could truly get off a of press. And we've played some other good ones. He's just the best that I've ever seen at the high school level. Um, that could truly get off a of press all game long. You yeah. know, we're going to win that yeah. battle majority of the time. And so that's what we're doing with those guys at safety. Uh, you know, we're going to be hash huggers. Um, that's one of the, the my buzzwords, you know, hug the hash. Um, but they're going to be very rangy and be able to play literally, you know, from the middle of the field um, all the way to the sidelines. And that's some of the things that, you know, we really harp on, you know, a lot of the cover two guys, you know, the, the whole reason with the Tampa two concept, which um, I don't see as much as, as we used to. Um, and we ran Tampa quite a bit when I first got to steal and, and we, we still run it on occasion, but we've gotten away from it because of, you know, um, just how many things people are hitting underneath with mesh routes and whatnot. But <clears throat> with with our our safeties, you know, one of the things I have to break the kids of coming from eighth grade to ninth grade, particularly, and I want to make sure they get it in their freshman year because it's just not something I'm willing to teach after they get to you know JV or even varsity. But is is making sure they hug the hash. And so you think cover two, and you automatically think, okay, you got to get off your hash. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, yeah. And there's some truth to that, but you leave the middle of the field wide open, you know, and you don't have that true post player. Uh, poaching the middle of the field so day one we're, we're in your face with our you know your corners and, and we're playing you know it is true cover too um but when we start to read that stuff is when we when we add a lot of wrinkles that have been really really good for us and been successful for us and um we've made a lot of plays because of it yeah so. okay a couple of things i want to i want to unpack from from what you said there uh first of all i like what you said about you know, sometimes guys just write you off and go, "Well, he's at a six A program. He's got D one dudes. They're churning out every year. Of course, they're gonna they're gonna play cat defense or, or whatever you know they want to. Of course, they're gonna man up and press." And and I heard um, I heard John K. You know from North Shore talk about uh-huh. the exact same thing uh, at a Lone Star Clinic a couple years ago, and, and just talk about you know how they how they they play a lot of man, uh, and just because you're forcing you're forcing low percentage throws. And you're challenging right. those receivers and getting up in their face, and and that's something that that we started to do at at, at my the, my pre- previous stop, my, my previous school. We started playing a little more man, uh, because it is a mentality. And you are are you going to get beat? Yes, but you're also forcing uh, contested balls and 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 low percentage throws. So I, I think that's 
you know, I like that, and I like that mentality, especially starting up, starting, starting teaching those guys from an early age. You know, you start with pressing and being physical, and then you can always draw them back as opposed to, okay, now we've been playing off all this time. Now we're going to try to hurry up try to teach you guys to be physical. I don't think that would work as well. Without a doubt, I couldn't agree more. You know, I, I had a sophomore starting opposite of my five-star this year, and I knew he was going to get picked on. The kid absolutely owned it. I mean – he knew that he was going to get balls his way because nobody's going to throw to the other, you know, the five star going to Texas A&M. There's just, there's just yeah. not. And so, um, but I tell you, we didn't play off with him. You know, he he stayed impressed. And um, in fact, his most recent as last night, he and I are, te- you know, texting about some technique stuff, and <laughs> it's just really fun because, you know, those kids they own it. And yeah. um, you know, going back to my original comment and what you were saying with Coach K, and you know, it, it is a mentality. And and if you can. You know, if you take away the quick game, think about what everybody wants to run now, whether yeah, it's, that's right. you know, uh, what Baylor, you know, had success with under Browse or, you know, the air raid stuff. That all is revolved around quick game and timing. And you can disrupt so many things if you just press, yeah. you know, and it's it's more technique than it is athleticism. I'm a firm believer in that. Yeah, obviously, it always helps when you have a five star. But if you could teach that five star the technique that you want based on your coverage, whether you're in zone or man or match or whatever you want to do. Um, and there's, there's, there's so many more opportunities. That's just my mindset. I, I don't have all the answers for obvious reasons, or I would be um, getting fitted for a ring like you are, but Hey, yeah. <laughs> we've had, we've had some success and I'm going to, I'm going to bank on it, man. Cause yeah. I, I believe in it. Well, so, so here's my other question. Uh, you're talking about your safeties being hash huggers and you're playing, and you're playing this palms covered too. So when you do have, you know, guys get vertical and they get they, they do get off the press and now you have that, you know, the the shot that that's that everybody calls calls it different things, turkey hole or whatever. How how do you have those safeties you know, how are they now getting over to help out with that that ball over the top once the corners beat uh, you know, if if you have a receiver that's able to get off the press? I'm not going to give away too much here because it's kind of a part of our secret in our pocket. I got you. <laughs> but I will say this we're reading one to two. Yeah. Uh, with our safety. So if you get a vertical release from both, then we have a, what we call a railroad technique and we're going to play, you know, we're going to play the divider in between the two. If, if two obviously cuts his route, you know, the quick concept or smash or anything yeah. like that, China, if we get anything like that, um, then it's going to make it easier for us to open our hips and get outside, yes. you know, so the, the Turkey yeah. hole throw that you're talking about, um, you know, there are some things that we want to do with our corners, um, to really alleviate that. But if, if, if we do get beat um, and they throw that quick route, you know, we're, we're just banking on our safeties to get over there. And yeah. that's more of the corner's fault. We're going to yeah. light up the corner, you know, I mean, verbally, we're going to, hey, you cannot allow that. Um, at the same time, you know, he's reading one to two out of our palm stuff. You know, yeah. we're not, uh, we're not going to focus in on two near as quickly as some would, you know, but that's more of a quarters read for us. Yeah. So when we're in our quarters concept, we're going to read two to one, but we're reading one to two. And if one pushes vertical, you better get off your hash as much, as much as we want to hug it because we're worried about the middle, get off your hash. Now, if you're getting that push vertical, you know, and again, if both of them are pushing vertical, you can be a little bit slower. And that's where, that's where we embed that whole hug to hash concept so that they are understanding, Hey, you've got the entire half of the field. You're not playing deep third, you know, like right. a cloud concept. Right. Um, although, you know, Palms is kind of a cloud mentality, you know, with that two read concept. If two's pushing vertical, 
then one, you know, he's he's still running running vertical as well. So a corner doesn't have anybody to cover except for number one. If two, you know, if I've seen shoulder and not face, that's what we tell him. You see shoulder, you keep sinking. Um, yeah. If you see face, you know, we'll rally to everything underneath. Like if they're under the swing concept or a late, you yeah. know, a late yeah, out or anything like that, a flood concept. If they're coming from the other side, you know, we can rally to anything underneath, but don't get beat um in that 15 to 20 you know yard range yeah yeah. safety out yeah 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 and and you're right i mean we could we could whatever coverage you're gonna you're gonna talk about we could you know pick apart the weaknesses or the deficiencies and and sometimes you're like hey man you know you just got to make a play or you know you just gotta we're, we're gonna take the good with the bad there and and take the percentages and and bet on that our guys most of the time you know because of the technique that we're coaching them is it, it's going to put them in an advantageous situations more often than not, and we're not going to freak out if they do pop one on us and you know all that. I mean that's 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 going to happen, um, and you live with it and and understand that that's that's there and that's a tough that's a hard throw to make by the way, um, much 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 more difficult than like you talked about the quick game stuff. You know, if you if you're if you're putting it on a high school quarterback, you know, high school kid to to make those kind of throws over and over and over, that's a really tough thing to uh, to ask that guy to do. So um, that's another advantage to, to doing what you're doing. Absolutely, yeah. And then not everybody has a Johnny Manziel, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Well, uh, let's talk about this. Uh, how do you stem and disguise your coverages pre-snap uh, in order to you know just to, to cause some confusion uh, on the offensive side of the ball? Yeah, so um, that's that's something I've toyed with, and, and that's something you know I really always want to evolve with. Um, I mentioned this on a on a former podcast, and forgive me, I cannot remember which one it was. But um, so I, I had the privilege, you know, I've I've had dudes, um, and and as I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, and you mentioned it too, just being able to shake that guy's hand and and you know, kind of nutting up and being that guy. I I had the opportunity to talk with. Uh, Coach Gundy, Mike Gundy uh, from Oklahoma State for like almost an hour, probably 50 minutes one day. It was just he and I in the office. Everybody else had class. And um, shoot, I took advantage of it, Coach. Yeah, I, yeah. you know, as a, as a quarterback coach and an offensive guy, I was just picking his brain. And so one of the things that I asked him is, Coach, what, you know, what one thing when you, you know, when you, you know that people are scrolling, but they give you a two high or a one high look. You know, what makes it most difficult on quarterbacks at your level? Because if I could take that in some way and either tweak it or if I was good enough, if we had good enough dudes to do that very thing, why wouldn't I do it? Because if it's hurting guys at Oklahoma State who have had a lot of success throwing the football under him, I know it would hurt high school quarterbacks for obvious reasons. And so yeah. – um, his his answer was 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 pretty profound, and I've used this in a lot of conversations, and so I don't mind sharing it again. He he, he said, well, you know what? He kind of Coach Gundy's great, great guy. I really had a good time talking with him. But he said, he said, well, what one thing has to happen every play, Coach Harvey? And I said, well, I mean, you know, you, you got to find the ball, and you got to read your keys, and you know, I'm trying to answer a little bit more sophisticated than what I really probably should have. And, yeah. He's like, well, no, like offensively, you know, we're talking football here and he's got to be a funny. So what one thing has to happen? And I'm sitting there dumbfounded. And I said, well, coach, I don't know. You got me. What is it? He said, the ball, the ball's got to be snapped. And I was like, well, yeah, obviously. And he said, so that's when you move your guys. He said, because what I teach my quarterbacks as they approach the line of scrimmage, we've got the formation defense is set up their pre-snap formation. 
once I know that that's happened, you know, one high or two high, obviously, is a first read. Anybody that has any knowledge as a quarterback coach will teach their guys to find one high or two high and then identify, you know, the in backer and the outbackers and all that. Yeah. After that, they've got to look back down to catch the snap. You know, and such a simple thing. We talk about making the game simple. Such a simple thing. He said, so if you can move at that point, you're not moving post-snap. You're moving when he looks back down. And I know it is quick, you know, depending on the cadence. And that's something you're really going to have to study. Yeah. But he said when he catches the ball and now he's in his progressions and you're in a different position, he said you've already got an advantage on him. Yeah. So that's one of the things that we've really tried to do in our stems and in our scrolls and that type of thing. Um, and, and it's worked for us, you know, again, I'm talking Caden Stearns, but Caden got really, really good at that his senior year. And I think he, he had seven interceptions and I would say four of those was a late, late disguise where he's moving to a place that they didn't think he was going to be and, uh, ended up picking the ball off. And a couple of them went, went to the house, went for six because yeah. of it. So yeah, it's, it's been cool to, to kind of do that, you know, and, and again, going back to, to that coach of, you know, well, you got dudes, you can do different things. You know, um, I don't want to sound conceited and pat myself on the back, but, you know, I just come off a campaign where I had the one five-star and that guy would be a five-star in a dumpster. He's that good. I mean, I, it's not my coaching. I think I made him better. I'm, I will say that and I'll own up to that. But I also think that he is an absolute stud. But the other three, um, one of which is graduating, and still at this point unsigned and needs to be signed. He's that good. He can go play somewhere. The other two are going to be returning, but all four of those guys were all district guys. And I had one, you know, stud going to Texas A&M. And one thing that they could do probably just as good as any unit as I've had since my, I've been at Steel um, is that, is the disguising. And they were really good at doing it together. So I think if you can really rep that, you know, one of the things that we rep is a communication drill. And in that communication drill, I don't even show them an offensive formation. I tell them to envision it. I want you to visualize what it would look like if they're in trips, what it would look like if they're in bunch, what it looks like if they're in two by two, two by two tight in the pro formation, whatever it is. And I want you to, number one, show the initial coverage, which is going to be palms. That's what we're basing out of. And then I'm going to you know, give them a cadence of some sort. If we can hear them or if it's a clap, you know, a lot of times I'll give them an indicator. When I give them that indicator, I'm expecting them to roll. And as I roll and they're still visualizing where they're going to end up when the ball is snapped. That's really helped us, you know, and it's something that we can do as a group of four. There's guys on the sidelines. The twos come in. They do it. The threes come in. They do it. The fours come in and they do it. I mean, we go all the way through the progression so that we're repping that even with our JV guys. And it helps them whenever, you know, if they have a chance to play on Friday night, they're ready to roll with it. And that's something yeah. that, you know, we kind of have found an identity with. And that was all based on that conversation with Coach Gundy. Yeah. Well, and to go back to what you're talking about, you know, about having guys, right? I mean, and that's awesome. You know, having having a, a guy back there that's a that's a that's someone that the offense is keying on. That's awesome. But if you're leaving them in a static position every time, then it's really easy for the offense to go, okay, we're not throwing it over there, or we're not running it over there, and really to take that guy out of the game and make him a non-factor. But then when you're able to stem people around and put them in a position where they're not expecting that person to be. Now I think you're really helping that kid do what he does best and that's impact the game because you're putting in a, in a position where they weren't expecting him to be and now he can be effective for you as opposed to just, all right, you go stand over there and they're not going to throw to you, but at least you're over there and we know, you know what I'm saying? That's right. Uh, I think yeah. that's what's standing I do, and, and I, moving and I guys around. I think it around. adds fun for them too, you know, because yeah. I think they have a lot more fun doing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Okay, well, let's talk about this. Uh, this is something that's becoming more and more popular that, that you see with, with offenses. Offense is doing this, and it's really probably to the, the bane of many DC's existence. Uh, is, and that's formations into the boundary. So how, how do you defend those? And uh, obviously without giving away all of your secrets, but how do, you, how do you go about defending those and taking away what an offense is wanting to do there, you know, especially with, with your 4-3 front? Right. Yeah, the FIB is a, it is a, it's a booger, man. Um, I think one of the things that you know, as a defensive line guy, maybe you could shed light on this too. One of the things that I've heard um, from the next level guys, the college guys, is just to, uh, you know, go into an overfront and set your three technique to the boundary. And that helps um, with, with fitting that, you know, on the back end, I mean, we're going to, we're going to kind of do what we do a lot of times, depending on what they're trying to do, you know, if there's a running quarterback or if there's, you know, uh, a stud that may be out there on the boundary, if you've got a true boundary corner, it obviously alleviates a lot of your issues. But one of the things we're going to try to do is, is really, you know, keep our, our safety on the roof if we can fit it. And that helps us to put that three technique to the boundary. And then, you know, our, our outside guy or overhang or whatnot, whether it's a, a backer or a true defensive end, can kind of play more of an edge player, yeah. and then we don't, have, you know, we don't have to force as much yes. from from the corner position like we do out of our palm set. Yeah, and so when that happens now, now that safety can also come down and help fit late. You know, he's more of a free player; he doesn't necessarily yeah. have a gap. Um, so that's helped us some. You know, we don't see a ton of FIB in, until uh, later in, in district against the better teams, and then when we do, we're really trying. You know, a lot of times we'll, we'll even check out. Uh, we'll we'll play our quarters concept to it, and then um, still kind of again not to give too much away, but we'll we'll add some different wrinkles with our quarters concept, and all that does is help the safety read a little bit quicker to get into the box instead of reading one to two. We're reading two to one, so we're reading closer to the line of scrimmage, um, you know. And and one of the things that we teach we call it LOB is lane of ball. So really really read the lane of ball, and lane one would be a straight run. Lane two would be your, you know, play action RPOs. Lane three is a definite pass. And yeah, so yeah. that's helped us, you know, especially with FIB. So, you know, I just, hey, FIB, LOB, you know, read the lane of ball, make sure you're not bailing, make sure you're not screaming because you don't want to do either one. You want to play kind of in between, hot your feet, you know, technique wise, our, our boundary safety. I really like the scoot or the scuffle technique that a lot of people are talking about now. And it's, you know, Saban has done it forever. He did it back in his days at Michigan State in the 90s. But, you know, it's just that that not quite a pedal, not quite a, uh, a, um, a scuffle or excuse me, a shuffle. I call it a scuffle. So it's not quite that. It's kind of in between. Yeah. You know, so your step replace type deal, it's kind of like it looks a lot like an offensive line, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, and so we do that. But, but what we'll do is we'll scuffle towards the line of scrimmage. You know what I mean? So that way, if they have to stick foot, open hips, and open up to a pass down the boundary, you know, we're playing either a cover one concept or man free with cover two concepts, whatever we're doing. Um, that way he can get back on the roof if he needs to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. that, that, doing that allows him that, that drop to really – it's really not a not a difficult drop, especially in the boundary. Exactly. Uh, you know, and then he can still be a, a run fitter as well. I, I think it's – I think it's easier for talking front seven stuff. It's easier w- with you guys, especially those of us who are, or those of you who are in in four down fronts, to just slide your front to help with those formations. Kind of like what you are talking about. The tricky thing is is when you are running an odd front, and now how do you uh, manipulate manipulate your numbers where you can still remain too high and and not um, 
overshift to the formation of the boundary, leaving a soft edge on the on the field side where you know they mm-hmm. can now run you know gap scheme stuff or just attack your edges. And so that's the tricky thing is you know what are you going to do with your you know messing with your leverage points and are you going to screw those guys down onto the backer and you know, if you have a guy that can play an outside backer slash defensive end, that really helps. Uh, we we do, and so that's how we would play it. Is you know always the the, the strength to the uh, to the passing uh, the passing strength most of the wide receiver side that uh, mm-hmm. in order to to keep our our numbers even and our leverage points uh, intact. So, yeah, no, that's I think that's really good. And and you know going back to the beginning of our conversation with X's and O's, that's where just got to marry it all together you know and so if you end up staying in the odd front and you've got that hybrid player you know where can we put him and then how can we supplement his position and his leverage uh with the back end if we want to stay too high or how do we supplement it with you know a corner or you know another thing that i've seen a lot of that that austin westlake who obviously just won it all as well um they love the the corner blitz from the boundary and and were very successful with it so you know if you got a dude that can do that and and you just play a bracket over the top of that you know that's always something to consider too even if it's even if it is fib um, because then you're now you're flushing away from the formation, and there's a reason they were setting the formation to the boundary to begin with. And so now, if you're flushing away from that, and like you said, if you've got a hybrid guy on that field side, you know maybe that will open up an opportunity for him to get a sack or at least a, a hurry or something along those lines. So yeah. there's just some different things that you can do with it. And I agree. Yeah. Well, it seems that that you know we, we've talked about hybrid guys, uh, you know, defensively anyway, but you're seeing more of those guys on offense, guys that are able to line up. Um, out as you know, as the number one wide receiver, and then jump in at the slot. Uh, how are how are you guys? And I know you talked. We talked in our in previous conversations. This was something you really wanted to look at uh, and, and get into in the offseason. But just talk about you know defending a slot and how, how to how to how to take care of those guys who are just really night uh, match up nightmares for you um, coming out of the slot. Yeah, man. So. I think that's the toughest play in football right now is how how to defend a slot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I went to uh, you know LSU was obviously playing tonight, and I went to their their game against Texas, and um, you know that, that that was the play that ended up breaking Texas's back was was a slot you know crosser. Gosh, it's just so tough because you know if you if you put a nickel on them, um, you you probably have your best chance, but there's still a reason why your nickel guy is a box player he probably is not going to be that guy, you know, and, and if you go free, then they're going to pick on somebody else and they're just going to find some way to, um, to get to you. But I, I think, you know, if you base out of a nickel, um, bracketing would be my answer. And, and that's something that I want to look at. Uh, like, like you said earlier, and we talked about previously, I want to look at this off season is, is how to bracket those guys, whether you play man on the outside with your corners or what, but if, if you can bracket those guys with a one high or even a two high look, I think you're going to be better off. And, you know, I'm not sold on a lot of guys are talking about the outside leverage. I don't know that I like that because as we talked about earlier, I'm such a, uh, a physical guy. I want physicality, you know, even those slots, I don't believe in giving them free releases. Yeah. And if, yeah. you know, if, if you can, yeah, if you can mash him, even if you are going to funnel him and play outside leverage, you better get hands on the Joker because, yeah. you know, I don't know if you saw the the, the clip with Jalen Ramsey that went viral last weekend. You know, yes. he was playing a trail technique, and you know he's pushing he's pushing the receiver, which was in a <clears throat> he was in a condensed split, and yep. trying to push him to the safety. The safety was like over the top, 
exactly what I was talking about earlier with hugging the hash. I don't know what he was doing. I'm not really sure what they were running. There was a miscommunication somewhere. There's no way that he was reading what he was supposed to be reading. But at the, long story short, at the end of the day, Jalen Ramsey didn't touch the guy either. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, he wouldn't yeah. help because he had a free release. And so yeah. it's just one of those things that, uh, you know, I, I think, yeah, offensive coordinators have gotten smarter. And, and you know, if you can run like – uh, you know, I think a lot of people call it special or some people call it mix where you're manning up with one and then you bracket your nickel and your safety with two. And if it's a three by one set, you know, it's two over two with your nickel and your safety bracketing two and three. And it's almost like a cover two look with those guys. And you're just manning up with your outside receiver yeah. in your corner. Yeah. Um, but I still believe in hands on, you know what I mean? And so I'm not a big outside leverage guy, you know, okay, well, we're going to funnel this to our poacher. Well, yeah, but he's still getting a free release. You better yeah. get hands on that guy if you're yeah. going to do that, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, that, yeah, that's something I want to look at. I, I would just think, and this is just me thinking here off the top of my head, but, I mean, I would think that, that doing that, giving those guys outside release, I mean, they're going to eat you up with RPOs, right? I mean, that's – that's Exactly, I mean, that's, yes. I, I, I would think that if I'm an offensive coordinator and I see that that's what you're doing, then that's my that's my go-to and, and, and now uh, that's easy money. I mean, I, I think kind of what you're talking about here is, man – take away the easy stuff and make them work for it. Like make them earn it. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, if, if, cause if they're getting off the press and they definitely earn that because the way you're teaching your guys to, to do that is it's, it's not going to be easy for them to do. They better be, you know, be, be ready to be physical as well to, to get off that press. Absolutely. Yeah. If you can, you know, if you play a catch concept and you still get a hands on, you can still work outside leverage post, you know, post yeah. the fact that you press the guy. Yeah. And you mentioned it earlier with those low percentage throws, that mindset, you know, I mean, that's yeah. a, it's a much harder throw to throw a sluggo than it is to throw a slant in an RPO. Yep. It just is, yeah. you know, and so force them to run the sluggo because you've got guys that are taking away the slant. And now yeah. you've got a player on the roof who's supposed to be taking the sluggo, yeah. you know? And so that's just some things that, you know, again, I don't have all the answers, but it's one of the things I definitely want to look at without having to leverage from the outside too much. Yeah. Okay, so here's a scenario for you. You're, you're going to be speaking. I'll, I'll plug in, put, put this plug in for you. You're going to be speaking at the uh, AFCA convention uh, coming up, and um, and and you've I, I know you've you've been on a previous podcasts as I mentioned in the intro of this show, and and uh, so you, you've you've been around had a, had a chance to talk to a lot of coaches. So let's let's pretend that you're at the AFCA convention there in, in Nashville, uh, and a coach comes up to you and says, "Hey, I like what you're talking. I like what you're uh, you know what you're talking about here." and and but here's the problem is, you know, I, I'm I'm rolling out there with kids that that are you know zero stars, uh, that are just they're just solid high school players. How can I you know how can I coach this up and and what are some technique things with that? You giving away too much here, but what are some technique things that I can teach these guys? You know, because I want I, I like this mentality and I want and I want to do what you're talking about, but I don't have necessarily those studs out there at corner or safety. You know, how do I do this? Man, well, that's a great question, Coach. And I first of all appreciate the plug. I, uh, you know, I think it all starts with starting young. Um, it's mentality more than it is technique. Yeah, I would, I would go to my grave with that one. It really is. And you know, I would be a fool. We would all be fools to say that you, um, you don't need talent because you do. Yeah. Um, but it's like Belichick said in the in the most recent, uh, or in the most recent in the recent deal with Saban that they brought up on yeah. HBO, you know, great players can never overcome bad coaching. And I'm paraphrasing. I don't know exactly how he said it, but yeah. And, and that's the thing too, is like as good as players are, you still got to coach those guys too. 
So if you go to the no star mentality, so to speak, um, two things come to mind and, and it's, it's always a fork in the road with, with coaches. And, and this is where, you know, we, we tell kids own up, own up to who you are, right, wrong, or indifferent, good, bad, or ugly, own up, right? Yeah. And sometimes I think we as coaches, and I'm going to throw myself into this because obviously I'm a coach. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, but I think we forget that. And I think there's a fork in the road no matter what. So let's talk scheme for a, sec- you know, for a second. If, if you're talking scheme or, or technique, so you want to run this press thing that I just talked about at, at AFCA, right? And so you want to run that so bad, but you in your right mind say, I don't have the kids to do it. I'm going to stop and ask you real quick, then why do you want to run it? If you don't have the kids to do it in your mind, because you're the only one that can answer that, nobody else, you have to own up with what you have. If you can't go recruit because you're out of high school, then don't run it. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, it's a mentality. So the other fork or the other uh, prong or whatever, however you want to look at it, the other side is it's, you know, it's our players. Do we have the right personnel? So is it the right scheme or wrong scheme or is it the right or wrong personnel? But it all goes back to the handle of the fork, and we are the handle as coaches, right? Now, I'm yeah. getting passionate about this because this bothers me. I, I mean, it's our call. You know what I mean? So you yeah. come to me, coach. You come to me, and you say, hey, I really want to run this. Well, then go teach it. So what are the techniques? I just showed you in my talk. Uh, you know, stay square, hands on, eyes inside, and beat that dude up, but don't lunch. So I mean, I, yeah, I'm giving away what I'm speaking about. You know? yeah. and I, I don't want to go too far here, coach, because I know that you've got other questions. But but I, I, what I'm passionate about is this. You just heard me speak, and I don't mind sharing this with anybody that wants to reach out, by the way. So if you want to reach out to me and talk about this, we can do it. Or, coach, if you want me to go in detail, I can do that. Hey, hey, I, I, I'm just watching this thing unfold, so go ahead. I mean, you got <laughs> okay. it. Yeah, so, so – let me let me just uh, you asked the question about techniques. So I do want to hit that up. All right. So so the first thing that I teach corners, right? Don't cross the river. So the river is the line of scrimmage. You know, give them something that they can relate to and remember, and you know, and it's something that you can just bark out in the middle of the game, so they know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. So don't cross the river. If you cross the river, you're lunging. If you're lunging, you're not going to be able to get hands on. So be patient. We watch these receivers and their releases all the time, and I, that's one thing I love about Twitter. And I'll just sit back and I go to watch, you know, these receiver guys, whether they're trainers or whether they're coaches at schools, and they're posting their pictures and their photos and their videos of their receivers getting off on releases. Well, I laugh because those guys are playing eight yards off the ball, and I'm like, well, good luck against us. <laughs> so, and that's the that's the yeah. cockiness of me coming out. I I, I don't know how else to put that, but. So with that in mind, okay, the first thing you see receivers do is they're they're taught patience too, so they'll take that step back. Okay, I'm just going to hot my feet and wait on you, bro. I'm going to hot my feet and wait on you. You know, and I talk to my kids like this so because they love the word bro, you know. <laughs> so I'm going to sit here and wait on you, bro. When you come across the line of scrimmage, now you're in my world. When you've crossed this river, you're in my world, and now I own that, right? So yeah. as I own it, that's where hands-on. And now I'm going to get my eyes inside to read LOB. If I'm zone turning, obviously, if I'm man turning, it's a completely different technique. I'm reading hips, da-da-da-da-da, and now we're in man technique. So um, hopefully I gave you a little bit about that. So that would yeah, be the first yeah. thing that I would teach with seventh graders, right, or starting out if you want to start with freshmen. Um, but it all goes back to that fork mentality. Dude, it is a mentality, mentality, mentality. So find your non-negotiables and say, young man, 
we can do this because I believe in it. You know, I heard somebody speak on it. I believe in this. We can do this. Here's what you have to do in order for us to run this concept. Yeah. If you can't do it, I got to find somebody that can. Yeah. And if you look down the line of DBs and there's nobody that can do it, coach, don't run it. Run something that works for you yeah. because it all goes back to you. You are the handle of the fork and there ain't nobody eating forks. Like I operate plastic forks all the time. My wife gets mad at me. She's like, you're pushing too hard. It's not silverware. I break them all the time. Well, I'm not going to eat with a, with, with a fork without a handle. It's just not going to work. And so, you know, good coaching will always be good coaching. And, you know, when good coaching happens, if there are good players, they're going to get all the attention as they should. We should step aside and give those kids that attention because that's what they deserve. Um, but there's a lot of situations where we as coaches, you know, try to force the hand or, you know, we're not owning up to the things that we've got to own up to. So what is it? Is it personnel or is it scheme? Whichever it is, it goes back to the handle. You're the handle. You decide. Don't blame it on the kids. Don't blame it on the scheme. It's you. So change up or get out and go do something else. Right. Yeah. You know, so gosh, coach, I, you got me on my soapbox. Hey, I, I think we can all pack up and go home and, and, uh, <laughs> and call it a day after that. No, I, I coach, I think you're exactly right. I mean, I think that it is the onus is, is on us to evaluate what we have. Okay. Based on what I have, what can I do? Uh, and then, and, and I, th- I think that's sometimes the tricky thing about clinics is you hear something and it gets, ex- gets you excited. And I think before you, bring that back to your room or to your, uh, to your, your staff, you got to say, okay, is this something with the guys that we have in our room? Because we can't recruit. Is this something that those guys can do? Yes. I mean, if we, you know, if it is okay, it's kind of like a flow chart. Yes, it is. Okay. Can I teach it? Yes. Okay. Then let's, let's install it and let's, and let's get after it. But if, you know, if any of those checkpoints is, is no, then yeah, then, then don't do it. But, um, I think sometimes, I guess what I was, I think sometimes guys can be a little afraid of this. Uh, of getting in someone's face, especially if they have lesser athletes, and I think the, I think what you've said, uh, you know, you've made a point is that it's it's a mentality, and I think that's I think that's the big thing is that that the mentality, uh, it, it's a mentality. So that's on us. And, to sell and Coach, that. I need to say this as I heard you talking and was thinking about my response. I I couldn't agree more, and I'll say this: teach them young because it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. It really isn't. And you know, if, if you're going to ask a kid that's been playing off three of his four-year career, you know, three out of the, of the four years that he's going to be there. And then his senior year, all of a sudden you're going to change things up. That's going to be difficult for that young man. It really is. And, you know, I think about a kid that we had that moved in, um, good ball player, really good athlete. And it just wasn't his mentality. And he ended up not being able to play for us as much as he would have liked. He got on the field some in certain situations, but, you know, I had to really, really press into him the things that I was asking of him, but he only played for me for one year and um, the kids being recruited. I mean, he was an all district kid, you know, in his previous school, he's not a bad player. He just hadn't grown up in the system. And so it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's not a right, wrong, you know, type thing. It's just, if I would have had him as a seventh grader and he would have understood the, or even a ninth grader for that matter. And he would have understood the, you know, the non-negotiable, so to speak. I mean, he would have been able to do it. And so, I think you just, again, goes back to the handle. You know, you've got to make sure you decide, you know, is this, is this the guy or not? And if it's not, go find somebody that will do it. And yeah. if they won't do it or nobody can do it, then you got to get out and you scratch it all together, man. Go find something else. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, 
here. Well, you mentioned at the top of this is that, that we're recording this on the day of the two national semifinal games, and we're getting closer and closer to those. So we better wrap this thing up because – uh, you and I have some football to watch along with all no the other coaches. So uh, let's let, we'll, we'll, I'll throw a couple lighthearted questions at you to wrap this episode up. Uh, when this thing is airing uh, in January, uh, airing, publishing, whatever you want to say, uh, publishing in January, and so everyone is will have New Year's resolutions fresh on their mind. So I'm curious, are you a, a, a someone who makes resolutions? And if so, what's what's one of your New Year's resolutions? Yeah, so I'm going to throw a John Gordon plug in, man. I, I used to. I used to be a resolution guy. I'm a big, big-time goal-oriented guy, but uh, I've, I've adopted his one-word mentality. I don't know if you're familiar with yep. it. It's really, really cool. Yep. Um, yeah, so my one word for 2020 is going to be respond, uh, based on the E plus R equals O from the yeah. kites. You know, yeah. I, uh, I guess that can become cliche, and it's a very popular thing for a lot of coaches right now, but I just want to respond the right way, man. I want to yeah. respond to – whether events are controlled or uncontrolled and, and do right by the people around me. And, you know, one of the, or the best definition I've heard of the word love, whether it's, you know, love for the game of football, loving my wife, loving my kids, you know, is choosing the highest good for obviously you and yourself, you're involved in the situation. Um, but for most importantly, the other person or people involved and then ultimately God. Yeah. And if you can do that, you know, that's the right way. So I want to respond in love. I want to respond in choosing the right way or choosing the highest good for everybody involved. And if I do that, I think great thing is going to be coming in 2020 for sure. That's awesome, Coach. Yeah, and, and if you haven't, uh, those of you who haven't checked that out, you know, that's, that's a great uh, guy to, to, to check out, John Gordon, his books. Uh, also, I think that kind of coincides with if, if anyone's read uh, Joshua Medcalf stuff, the chop wood, carry water, yes. and burn your goals. Yes. And, you know, he talks about being mission-minded and, and, and uh, that really having a mission to live for instead of a bunch of goals, which, you know, the problem sometimes with goals is, is reaching those. There's so many variables that are outside of our control so uh, anyway, I won't get off into that, but that's awesome, Coach, and, and that's a great word to uh, and a great mission to have for uh, for 2020. So speaking of 2020, we're now in a brand new decade. So where were you coaching, or what were you doing 10 years ago? That would have been in 2010. So what were you doing then? Yeah, so I just started that program at that middle school that I was talking about. Uh, we started in 2009, so I was sitting at a at a private middle school in downtown San Antonio, uh, coaching a bunch of kids that. Actually, you would have probably faced while you're you were at Ivy, Coach. Uh, yeah. and most of those kids went to Alamo Heights, um, and so yeah, it was a it was a good time. You know, I got a chance to to coach kids that uh, were big time ball players at the middle school level, so it was fun. And um, that's where I was, man, just trying to make it all happen there at San Antonio Academy. And now here you are. You know, this is like your fifth or sixth podcast. You're highly sought after podcast guest speaking at <laughs> AFCA. I mean, look at you. So young guys, you know, you're toiling away, teaching kids how to put their pads in their pants, you know, at seventh grade. Hey, man, just just, just keep uh, keep banging, keep grinding, and, and uh, uh, you know, good things will happen. So, okay. Absolutely. This is something that we've – this is something new that, we, that we've uh, been doing just to close out an episode, and that's just for a chance to give uh, – for you uh, to give – uh, a shout out to guys who you feel are, are doing a great job that maybe don't always get the credit. You know, a lot of times head coaches and maybe their coordinators to some extent get the shout outs or get the credit. But a lot of times there's those guys who are in the dark who, um, you know, are, are, are doing some great things that don't get a lot of uh, a lot of credit for what they do. So shout out some guys that, that uh, you feel are doing a great job. 
Gosh, I, I love that segment. That's awesome, man, that you're doing that. I, my my endless list would would go on and on. I am going to answer your question because I don't like to be that guy to divert. But, um, <laughs> you know, I just went and watched the University of Texas practice with a young coach who was a student coach or a student teacher with me uh, in 2016. Brandon Velez is coaching defensive backs at San Antonio Wagner, who just made a nice run and ended up getting beat by the eventual state champion in the state semifinal. And, uh, Brandon is just really a sponge and is doing a phenomenal job there at Wagner. And then uh, another guy I want to mention that I just spoke with this morning as well is, is Matt Arafat there at the Brennan High School here in San Antonio as well. He's the defensive coordinator there. And um, so I don't know if you guys on Twitter saw, and if you didn't check it out, he'll be mad at me for this because I think he told me this morning he's gotten over 400 new followers on Twitter just in the last couple of days because he has offered uh, as his quote unquote Christmas gift um free all 22 film of 2018 seasons 2017 and 2018 i think and so uh you shoot him your gmail address and that joker will give you some film um and he just asked for like a he's a big saint jude uh donor and so he'll ask for a small uh donation towards the saint jude hospital which i think is really neat and then you get to you know see some all 22 films so i'm going to say those two guys right now and there's countless of others coach that gosh i mean just work tirelessly for their head coaches and um you know that's another thing that to give a plug to those young bucks out there listening you know um there there's a cliche of be where your feet are and all that jazz um but i'll tell you you work hard for your head coach you make a name for yourself you're going to find yourself in great positions and uh those are two of many many guys that do that well coach great stuff and 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 really uh really appreciate you coming on and 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 pouring your your heart into this and and uh, being prepared, and, and that was uh, just some really great stuff that we got out of our conversation today, and, and I know that uh, anyone listening to this is better because of it. So good luck this offseason, Coach, and, and we'll be in touch and and uh, excited about the things that y'all have going on over there at Steel, and and um, just want to wish you the best of luck. Coach Taylor, I appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me on and for, for connecting with me, and, uh, yeah, thanks for doing this. You're doing a great job. Thanks once again to Coach Hardy for chatting with us today. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Coach underscore Harvey. That's H-A-R-V-E-Y 18. So once again, that's at Coach underscore Harvey 18. You can check out our show notes for Coach Harvey's email address, as well as the links to the other podcasts where he was featured. Also, if you're heading up to the AFCA convention in Nashville, again, be sure to check out Coach Harvey on Sunday at 1130 there on the expo floor. And if you're not headed out to the convention next week, have no fear. Just tune in to KYPD or we will have you covered with another great episode, or we will get back to talking specifically about defensive line play next week. Our quote of the day comes from Tim Kite, and it is, The heart of leadership is making others better. And that will do it for us today. Thanks once again for checking us out. Be sure to tune back in next Monday for episode number 42 of KYPD. Until then, have a great week. And along with your list of New Year's resolutions that you probably won't keep, There's one that you better make sure you do, and that is keep your pads down.